Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins, filling in for Luke this week. Unfortunately, his mixer is in the shop for repair, so he doesn't have a working microphone. No problem, though. I'll cover and we'll go over the many interesting comments that came out this week. But first, an update. In the last week's podcast, I mentioned the Upper Intermediate course, and we ran into a couple of delays in regards to getting the flashcards ready for them. But, you know, in a way, they're kind of like good delays. They're things that I realized we could do to make the rollout a bit better for people. And, um, you know, I think it's going to work out quite nicely. Uh, the flashcards in traverse.link are working really well. And by the way, as a reminder, when I'm talking about the upper intermediate course, I'm talking about the release for the lifetime members and for the people who are were donators to our GoFundMe campaign. Now, um, the GoFundMe campaign I'll be closing soon because we're you know at this point we're almost ready to release the course and uh, the lifetime members will get access because they're entitled to it and so then we'll get the first round of people doing the upper intermediate course going and hopefully that'll you know be ready to go. Uh, sometime later this week. I'm recording this on the 19th of October, so hopefully we'll get this out before the end of that that week. We'll see. But uh, just a you know, reminder that uh, I you know I said last week that hopefully we'll get it out you know within a week, and we ran into a couple of delays, but it's all good. That said, though, uh, I did do some um, calculations that are related to what the upper intermediate course and the advanced course are going to add to the Mandarin Blueprint method, and so. You know, as of uh, as of now, we've prepared and planned out an additional one thousand five hundred and twenty make a movie lessons, an additional one hundred and forty four pick a prop lessons, an additional fifteen hundred or so vocab unlocked from you know certain character lessons. It's a little bit less than one thousand five hundred twenty because the occasional character doesn't unlock any words, but most of them do. And then there's approximately 1,400 vocab boost lessons, which is an additional 4,564 lessons that will be added to the course. And that's going to bring our total amount of lessons to 9,091 lessons to go from absolute beginner to advanced literacy and fluency in Mandarin Chinese, all with Mandarin Blueprint. Um, we're extremely excited about this, and we're very proud of the uh, product we've made, and we're proud of all of you who've spent so much time smashing through the course um, and uh, really making great progress. And then, out of those 9,091 lessons, over the, you know, as many of you know who are on the course, not every lesson has a video because that's not, you know, absolutely necessary. However, we have been uh, adding videos. Pronunciation Mastery course has 180 videos. There's 179 and 172 in phases one and two, respectively. Now, in phases one and two, except for a, maybe a, a flashcard lesson, everything has the a video. So it's a very like hold your hand through everything. But then in phases three and beyond, we only have videos for relevant topics. So in phase three, we have 348 videos, and phase four, 377 videos, phase five, 117 videos, and the intermediate course, 275 videos, which means that there are now 1,647 course videos and growing each week. Um, but we've also got 269 FAQ videos, bringing our total videos that you can watch uh, as a member of the Mandarin Blueprint method to 1,916. So we're getting close to 2,000 videos now. Uh, which is just wild. Uh, it's it's been such a journey, and we love it. Um, and what it's 
what it means is that Mandarin Blueprint is becoming such a powerful force of learning where it's, you know, so many questions are answered. It's a one-stop shop. You know, there are other resources, of course, you can use online that can be very helpful. And there's a lot of free resources that you might as well use. But Mandarin Blueprint every day gets closer and closer to being literally the only thing that you need to go from nothing to advanced literacy and fluency, not just conversational literacy and fluency, advanced literacy and fluency. And that's, you know, it's a goal that we've had in mind for about six years. And it's just been a huge project to create. But we weren't uh, daunted. We, we thought, all right, just a matter of the daily habit, right? Just like you learning Chinese, for us building the course, it's just the daily habit. So we're doing uh, some great work here. And we're very happy uh, that all of you have been supporting us. And, uh, you know, as I we don't usually talk about the uh, pricing of the course here on the podcast, but I just thought I would mention that it's probably not that much of a surprise that the fact that we're more than doubling the size of the course. Also, I forgot to mention, there will be 25,515 flashcards uh, available. And again, not all those cards are required. Many of them are optional, but they're available for you pre-made with native audio to help you learn. And so, I mean, it's just unbelievable the amount of resources we have now. Uh, and so as a result, we're going to be raising our prices for the monthly subscription and the yearly subscription. Um, you know, there'll be probably some options to get uh, some discounted rates this upcoming Black Friday. Uh, but if you're, you know, interested in getting involved relatively early, um, you know, because the it's it's weird. Mander Blueprint always feels like if you're getting involved now, you're an early adopter. And I still think in the scheme of Mandarin Blueprint's life, somebody who's getting involved now in 2021 is an early adopter. And of course, somebody who has a subscription at whatever price that we set it at, we're not going to raise the price on somebody who already has a continuous subscription. Uh, however, for new subscriptions and new people who are getting the course when it's, you know, say 9,000 plus lessons and, uh, um, you know, 25,000 plus flashcards, well, the people who arrive at it when it's at that level, yeah, they're going to have to pay more at the beginning. But if you get involved now, as the Chinese say, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Well, if this is the moment for you and you've been sort of waiting to pull the trigger, I'd highly recommend getting involved because Mandarin Blueprint is only going to continue to grow in value. It's only going to continue to become a uh, super powerful force for learning Chinese. And so if you want to get it uh, while it's still comparatively cheap, uh, I'd, rec I'd recommend getting involved very soon. Um, all right. So let's get into the comments and emails this week. If you're unfamiliar with the Mandarin Blueprint podcast, it's a Q&A podcast for people who are on the course. And we're going to start off with a community forum post by Lynn Ford, that is just excellent. Let's listen to this. She starts it off. I passed. I am so stupid happy right now, I can't even think. I took my HSK3 exam after I finished the foundation course because I wanted to see where I was at, if what I, was, I, what I really learned was applicable. I'm happy I did it. I've been checking every day for over two weeks on test results and didn't just do okay. I beat every practice test score I ever got. I did way better than I thought I would. I was confident I was going to pass it, but not so confident I would pass by very much. Well, I did. I passed by a lot, a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. I'm crying like a big baby because this just means so, so much to me. And it's all Mandarin Blueprint's fault, LOL. Well, Lynn, I would just say, uh, and there's more to this, but just to pause for a moment, I would just say that obviously, like, we gave you a little bit of a roadmap, but you did it. 
you know, you are the one who put the energy in. So, uh, yeah, this is excellent stuff. Let's keep going. She says a couple of things. I finished the foundation course in three and a half months. Once I finished, I wanted to test my skill level and took a practice HSK three exam. I just want to point out here, uh, that the foundation course finishing that in three and a half months is a good solid pace. We've had people do it faster, but we've had also many people take longer. So it's a good pace. And, uh, the foundation course covers a thousand words and 592 characters, but they're, mo they're the most common thousand words. So it covers 80% of the language by frequency. So just for a frame of reference there, uh, what that means to finish in three and a half months. Great, great pace. Okay. She says, once I finished, I wanted to test my skill level and took a practice HSK three exam. I scored a 41%. Yeah. My listening was horrible as is my grammar for sentence structure. So I took the next month and a half to just practice for the actual exam. I didn't move forward into the intermediate course, but I did go through and jumped around all the levels to learn all characters and vocab I saw was on the test that I hadn't already learned. Side note, very funny. After I made all those vocab cards and learned the vocab, Luke and Phil released the vocab boosters, which had all the cards I had just made, LOL. After I tested and resumed the course a couple of weeks ago, I saw all the cards they added. I was like, well, it figures. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, Lynn. Obviously, we didn't realize you were doing that, but uh, you know, the vocab boosts were meant exactly for this purpose because we realized they've changed the... Uh, way the HSK is, uh, and so the, the the words that are on the test, so we have to update our uh, uh, materials. So it kind of makes sense to me that when you first took the practice exam, uh, you didn't pass, but then you know once you added those missing words, you did pass, and of course then we added them right after you. Uh, that's just how it works out sometimes, isn't it? Anyway. Continuing, she says, I know some people think that taking the exam at HSK3 really doesn't do much for you, but for me, it was a real-world practical proof that I was actually learning something, that this is real. I'm learning and understanding Mandarin, which is vital to my future and dreams. Being able to have a gauge on my progress that was official is important to my psyche. I mean, before I started the pronunciation mastery course, I didn't even know what pinyin was. After three and a half months of learning and one and a half months of reviewing, five months of Chinese, I just passed an official exam that most websites say that you should pass after 1.5 to two years of study. Just amazing. Also, it showed me where I was lacking, listening and grammar, and helped me to change and recalibrate how I was reviewing my Anki cards with the audio. By reading along the first time the audio plays and then closing my eyes and listening the second time it plays helped loads in listening comprehension. I think when I took my first practice exam, the listening portion was at a 20% overall and 41% with reading, always at the highest. My listening comprehension test results is now 85%, which is pretty damn awesome if I say so myself. It sure is. What an improvement. So please, everybody who's listening to this, take this to heart. That's a good technique with your flashcards. Read it with the audio like so read and listen and you know maybe even speak along with the audio the first time and then play the audio again and just listen to it that'll really help with your listening comprehension that's awesome stuff okay continuing like i could do a whole breakdown on everything i have so much to say about the exam and just this course and how amazing all of what you guys share and tips and everything but I will wait another time to do that. Or if anyone has questions, hit me up. This post is just a very long thank you to Luke and Phil and everyone else who has been on this journey too, who has shared their tips and tricks, their scenes and props. I don't engage in the community a lot, but only because your girl is hella busy. But know that you guys help me more than you know, and there are many times your sharing has helped me so much. Sorry I'm all gushy. It's just because I'm so happy. 
Luke and Phil, you guys are so wonderful and amazing, and I can't wait to slam through the intermediate course. You've literally changed my life. I'm super thankful for you. I will never be able to repay all the effort and time you have invested into this to help us to learn Mandarin. I know, I know, it's a business, but because of your passion for teaching and learning, your respect of the culture, oh, just so much, all reasons why I picked Mandarin Blueprint to start my learning journey on, I can tell it's more than just a paycheck, is what I'm trying to say, and that makes it all of the difference. I hope I'm able to do even my highest learning with Mandarin Blueprint levels, uh, HSK level seven through nine, one day, my homies. I also plan on killing the game and testing HSK six at the end of March, beginning of April for my one year anniversary of learning Mandarin. Just thank you. Thanks some more. And what's this? Another side of thank you. You guys rock. Well, that is fantastic, tangible results, something that is in the real world, like you said. I mean, there's different stages of learning Mandarin. Every, you know, some at some point, you're going to be at the HSK 9 stage, and you're going to have success there, too. But at each one of these little successes is, it's just so important to look at it like Lynn has, and take a moment to really reflect, be grateful, and find a way to use that gratitude as fuel to keep moving forward. And, you know, it seems very clear to me that Lynn has uh, well-defined goals and aspirations for what she's going to do with Chinese, that it's very important to her life. And so uh, just congratulations and keep it up. You know, you got it's still a long way to go, but it's excellent stuff. And I think you're going to reach that goal of HSK 6 by March or April. It's definitely doable, especially with the uh, amount of time investing, investment you're willing to do each day. Uh, just thanks so much. I mean, it's really moving to see how uh, not only the course that Luke and I have built, but also the people on the course giving their help and tips and suggestions. It's just a glorious, a glorious thing. So congratulations, Lynn, and uh, we'll see you back on the course. Next, we have Simon Barub by email. He says, hey, guys, figured I could provide early feedback as requested. Long story short, you guys clearly put a remarkable amount of effort into this, and it shows. I struggled to learn Chinese for a while, mainly due to the lack of being able to find a good direction on where to go. I learned English as a second language in my teenage years by reading, watching TV, and generally using the internet, so I am a firm believer in the consume content approach to learning. I always sort of thought Chinese was going to be difficult since the character barrier to learning made the path too much of a pain. In my journey, I really stuck with Scritter, which I practice daily alongside your course and Anki, since I found recall slash muscle memory from writing actively in the app works very well for me. On its own, it's kind of useless, but in combination with your stuff, I find it very effective. At least for now. Things may change later. I wasn't too sold on the mnemonic method at first, to be honest. This felt a bit marketing gimmick-like. <laughs> Interesting. But I do seriously see a massive impact, specifically with tones. In short, I agree that it really does work, but I admit to having some reticence at first, which I imagine you have heard before as well. Well, we certainly have. Uh, it's a, You know, I mean... I've never heard somebody say that it sounds like a marketing gimmick because it's like, but I have heard people like just this morning, I got an email from a guy who was like, you know, ah, it seems like there's too much to remember here. And it's like, it's a very common objection. Um, and I get it, but it's all about compared to what it's like, well, you know, you could, uh, you could say that using people and places and, and objects from your lived experience is, uh, 
you know, too much to remember, but the alternative is just to write the characters over and over. And then what if you forget it, which you probably will for many of them, then you just got to do it again. Whereas at least if you have like, a, okay, I'm in my friend Alan's house in the bathroom and there's a snake and a badger and uh, they're um, creating an army of protesters and that's the what I'm going to use for protest. And like, if you forgot one element of that, you probably remembered some of the other parts of it. So you just have to fix one of the uh, seven elements, not just you don't have to uh, fix the entire thing and start over, right? So anyway, uh, <laughs> I've gone over that many a time. So he says, finally, not to bore, bore you to death on details, the only feedback I have other than so far everything actually works very well is that I really had to go through the emotions with an open mind to get there. Looking at a website slash profile and everything first, I had a bit of this is marketing heavy and empty promises feel to it. I don't have a solution to this and I imagine you guys have to filter above the noise to get attention and clients and this is a super competitive market, but maybe there's a two-tone approach here that appeals to people that are more guarded to heavy, heavy marketing like myself without sabotaging the other demographics on which this is effective. Either way, great work. This works well and is well done. Not that I have much to offer, but I but if you need some reviews slash reach other than the Google one I've already done, I'd be happy to oblige. I think your effort and approach deserve some success, and I hope you guys get it. Well, thanks so much, Simon. I'm glad to see that you're finding that it actually does work. And, you know, it's funny. Um, it is a very competitive market. It's very hard to get people's attention these days. Um, and, you know, to some degree, you have to, like, recognize that marketing tactics, so to speak – um, are only, you know, sort of disingenuous and kind of slimy if the product is bad. But if the product is actually transformatively helpful and does things like it did for Lynn, where she's stupidly happy and is excited about what it's going to do to change her life to no Mandarin, then I'm not going to be too broken up about sending you a lot of emails until you understand how good it is. You know, it's like we send a lot of emails to the people who haven't bought the course yet. Absolutely. Because you need to know how good this is and you don't know yet. So until we get your attention and you either say, you know, F off and unsubscribe or you purchase it, in which case you'll stop getting all the marketing emails, then I'm going to keep nudging you and be like, don't forget, you you want to learn Chinese and this is better than the other guys. So nudge you again about it. And like, and you know, people get upset, but on the other hand, it's like the, all you got to do is hit unsubscribe and then it's over. And you know, it's like the, some people send us these angry emails, like stop sending me emails. And I'm like the amount of effort it took for you to write the email and send it is far less than a simple click of the unsubscribe button, which is all you have to do. When you hit the unsubscribe button, you're unsubscribed. You don't have to even do anything else. So, uh, it's one of those things where if somebody feels like that is too much effort for them, then, I don't know. I, they're not really, uh, they're not really rationally thinking through the whole process and you know, it's all, it's all, what it is. So the product is good. It is something that helps people. It gives them transformative experiences. And so, you know, I'm not going to apologize for trying to remind people of that. It's what it is. So thanks for the uh, uh, email, Simon. Next, we have Gavia Arctica on Vocab Unlocked from Shang. She says, Shangxin sounds like heartbroken, uh, romantically or otherwise. Is that a good translation or is it maybe a bit too strong for the Chinese word? Yes, I know I need more context to get the feel of it. Just wondering, can't wait to get to the point where I can read more and have access to more context. Yeah, you're, well, you're well on your way. Just keep taking the steps, Gavia. And 
uh, Shangxin is, you know, it literally means wound heart. Shang, you know, like shou uh, shang means to be injured, to get injured in some way. So Shangxin is a wounded heart. And so it's, it's referring to the emotion of heartbreak or sadness or, you know, just it's a type of sadness that has to do with things not working out the way that you wanted could be romantically, but it could also be, you know, you didn't get the job you wanted and you're, you're, you know, hun shangxin. There are other words for sadness. There's bei shang, which is also used as shang. Um, and there's also, uh, there's a nan guo, which is just, nan guo is just difficult to get through. Uh, like the emotions are difficult to get through because they're sad and they're unpleasant, you know, um, you could also think of nanguo is just like upset, you know, um, and so shangxin is a you know only slightly more specific, but it's basically just that things didn't work out the way you wanted and you feel it, right? So that's shangxin for you. Doug Casey on word structure part eight of eight affixes. He says for whatever reason I found this particular word structure structure lesson super interesting. I do too. I think that affixes are very uh, fascinating the way that they work in the Chinese language. I realize that this is just meant to be a taste of what is to come rather than content to try to thoroughly digest now. But it feels a little like getting colors to play with after previously only having a basic pencil. <laughs> That's a great little analogy there, Doug. I agree. I was already looking forward to moving into phase three of the course, and this lesson has made me excited to dive in. Placing this lesson at this point in the course was a good decision, in my opinion. Oh, well, that's great to hear. I mean, you know, we, when it comes to course design, you know, we're, we're obviously trying to always build on what you already know, um, and but sometimes we're trying to prepare you for what's ahead too, and it's kind of a balance that you need to strike there, so that's great feedback. I'm glad to hear that you, uh, you feel that way. That's awesome. TC on It's a Word for Gun. He said, can I have multiple actors for the same sound? For example, I have a colleague at work whose name is Gun, but I'm also a fan of Breaking Bad and Gus Fring, Giancarlo Esposito, is a memorable character. Does it make sense to use them in different situations? So, well, there's a couple things to say about this. One is that there's not like a hard and fast rule about this. If you want to have multiple male actors to represent G, like you want to have your friend Gan and you want to also have Giancarlo Esposito, that could be okay. Um, but the thing is, you got to remember that like there's to some degree, we're looking for efficiency here. And so if you did that a lot, there's 55 actors. So if you went from 55 actors to now, I don't know, maybe you have 85 because 30 of them, you have multiple actors, then you're just giving yourself more stuff to remember. So that you want to bear that in mind that you don't necessarily want to overwhelm yourself. However, in this case, because the second character you mentioned, Gus Fring, is a fictional character. And of course, Giancarlo Esposito, his name also starts with G, so you could use him as a real person as well. But if you wanted to have the character of Gus Fring as a representation for you, you could use that for GU. If you're familiar with how we do actors, male actors represent the consonant sound with no vowel sound. Um, the it's just a consonant followed by the final. And then the females are the consonant plus the I sound, E, or really just the E sound. And then Fictional characters are the U sound. So G-U, Gu, Gu could be the representation of Gus Fring for you. And so that way you can have both and they represent different things. Gan, your friend Gan represents G by itself and Gus Fring represents G-U, Gu, okay? So you could do that. Now, and like I say, there's no hard and fast rule if you want to occasionally use a different actor, but it's, it's just... 
it's not that necessary unless maybe a scene requires it and you think, oh, well, if I had this person and not that person, the scene will make sense. Okay, you can occasionally do that. But just remember that it's like you're giving yourself extra work if you do that too much. And Giles on Make a Movie for Show. Hi, Phil. Great story. Is this what the woman says? And so she's referring to the time I was at a bar and uh, it was really smoky and noisy inside because there was a band playing and in China you're still allowed to smoke in bars. And I was standing outside the bar because I had just played and uh, this woman came out and she said, uh, and it was when I was learning Chinese and I had heard before, but it was just this perfect context because she just couldn't take how um, smoky and noisy and, you know, uh, what a, she's probably like an introvert or something and she didn't want to be around so many people. And she just came out and she's just like, oh, well, right. So, uh, that basically means I can't take it anymore. And so would you be open to reviewing when le is pronounced le and when it's pronounced liao? If so, thanks. So yeah, I'm, we go over this in the course at various points, but I'm always happy to review these types of things because, you know, repetition is everything sometimes. And so, Remember the, we actually just talked a few comments ago about infixes, uh, the, yeah, two comments ago, and one, or, well, affixes, and one of the affixes is in an infix, which is, you know, that middle bu or du. And so what it means is that a result is possible or impossible. So impossible for bu and possible for du. So shou means to receive and Liao means to complete, right? So it's kind of like um, to finish off, right? So it's sort of related to le in that way, hence why they use the same character. But if you say shou bu liao, shou bu liao, then what you're saying is uh, that you cannot receive it to completion. You have to, you got to give up. Shou bu liao. Now, shou de liao would be like, I don't know, for example, Here's a perfect example. I do cold water training sometimes with um, the Wim Hof method of breathing, and then you sit in cold water, and you know you try to you try to take it for a longer period of time, and you get you know get better at it over a long period of time. And so, you imagine you're sitting in ice water, right? And if you show the liao, that means you can take it. You can deal with it. You can take it. You can receive it to completion. So, for example, if I say I'm setting the timer for five minutes, you know, can I? Do that, okay, show the liao. I can last for five minutes in the cold water. Um, but if I had to get out after a minute, I might say, oh, show the <laughs> right? Like I cannot receive it to completion. So when you have uh, le in this structure where it's either verb bu liao or verb d liao, then that's when it's pronounced liao. Now, there are other words. There are some cheng yus, for example, uh, is, is one that's a cheng yu. It's a four character idiom. Uh, there's um, there's words like uh, which has as the beginning. That means amazing or fantastic. Like it's like um, it, it's like you're saying it came to completion and can't be risen to. It's like it's a, just a and you usually just tend to use it directly to describe something. Oh, their performance right? Or, uh, so anyway, so that's, but those examples are less common than seeing it in this verb bu result or verb du result with liao being the result of finish off, right? So that's how that works. 
And um, again, you'll see that again. And as you go through the course, we talk about it at other junctures. So uh, just look out for that. Next, we have Hussein on level 23 complete. He says, Hey, Luke and Phil. So I just want to point out here that Hussein has already picked up that you don't tend to say when you ask people uh, how they're doing. And you don't even tend to say, you know, sometimes you'll say, which is like just saying, how have you been recently? But the most common way people say how things are going in China is they say, Ni or Niman in this case, because he's referring to both of us. Uh, right? Just, have you been busy lately? Have you been busy lately? That's just the common way to ask somebody how they've been doing because, hey, you know, whatever. You get, if you've just been sitting around not being mong, that's not interesting. So is it, what have you been doing? What are your mongs lately? What have you been mong with? Because that's like busy is an adjective, but it's also kind of a noun. In Chinese, it's like the busies that you've been doing. All the, what that busy, and then this busy, and right, the business, I guess, you've been doing. And so when you say, uh, you're just kind of asking, eh, what's, what's been up lately? What you've been busy with, right? Or, and it, obviously, the technical translation is, have you been busy lately? But you can answer it with, you know, what you've been up to, right? And so, uh, anyway, so Hussein has already picked up on that. That's good stuff. Now let's listen to his question says, uh, can I learn all characters up to the end of this phase, then come back to vocab and context later on, return to the conversations and opinions and stories section? Is it recommended? I would say that this is up to you. In the foundation course, I think that everything is pretty essential. Uh, and then when you get into the intermediate course, some of the sentences really become optional because you've got a sense of grammar at that point. And it's like, it's the kind of thing where, I wouldn't want you to overdo the sentences. So like to some degree, we want the sentences to be optional at that point. But in the foundation course, you should get around to it. But the order that you get around to everything is less important. Like that's the kind of thing where if you get around to everything, uh, you know, by doing the characters first, then going back and doing the sentences, and then going back and doing the dialogues, opinions, and stories, that's perfectly fine. There's really nothing wrong with that. Um, and it might even be advisable to do so. It depends. I mean, like everybody's different. So I don't want to give a hard and fast rule about this. But I can say that uh, if you learn all the characters first and then you go back and do all the sentences and words, then uh, when you get to the dialogues, opinions, and stories, they're going to be a lot easier because you'll have already seen many of the top-down words. Uh, you know, for example, there's a lot of level 22 top-down words that wouldn't be top-down words by level 30, which is the end of phase four. So if you were to do levels, or yeah, levels 21 through 30, all the characters first, go back, do all the words and sentences, and then go back and do the dialogues, opinions, and stories, then maybe, um, you know, five of the eight top-down words in a paragraph uh, are now no longer top-down to you, and so it's easier to comprehend, and you'll enjoy it more. So there's something to be said for that. And so, um, but on the other hand, um, you know, if you want to go, here's the character, here's the words it unlocks, and then here's the sentences that use the words it unlocked, that can really give you a, a nice little blast of the character by putting it all together. So some people like the former way, some people like the latter. It's really up to you. Just get around to all of it somehow. Uh, that would be my only uh, suggestion. Great stuff. Mirko R. on Mei Tian in context. 记住, 每天都要过来. 
Would it be possible to just say, 记住,每天都过来? And does that change the meaning of the sentence? Thanks. So the difference is subtle here, um, but yao has this feeling of like must as well. As we've talked about before, yao can mean will, but it's stronger than hui. Um, so if I say, 我,你明天会过来吗? Uh, I'm saying, are you going to come tomorrow? And I've, I, I used hui because I'm asking it as a question and I don't want to make it seem like it's a requirement, right? But if I say, 你明天要过来, I'm saying, you got to come tomorrow. Like, I'm not really mincing words there. So by saying, 我记住,每天都要过来, uh, I'm kind of making a command. It's the type of thing that, like, a teacher might say to their student or something, right? It's kind of got this more command feel to it when you say and it's like you know starting off with remember right it's got it's that's another bit of context you can add to this now if you say that tends to be used in like a description of somebody like oh you know he comes to the coffee shop a lot uh like just sort of like that's a thing that happens it's more of a description about reality not as much of a like command, like do it this way. Um, to be clear, you'd be understood if you said 记住,每天都过来, but 每天都要过来 in this context feels more right because why would you tell somebody, remember, like, and then say, he comes here every day, right? Or like, <laughs> so this person is clearly talking to someone and they're giving a, you know, Strong instruction, maybe not quite a command, but a strong instruction, you know? And so, yeah, that's why Yao works better. Gave you our article on Vocab Unlocked from Bao, 1914第一次全球大战爆发. So this is, the sentence says, in 1914, the First World War uh, broke out, 爆发. She says, I feel like I'm missing a l here. Doesn't a war breaking out mean a major change in the state of things in the world? Uh, yeah, sure. And so this is kind of a, you know, when you're talking about historical events like this and you frame the time, you say, uh, you've already framed the time frame you're looking at. It's clearly far in the past. And so you can dispense with le because uh, it's clear that you're talking. I mean, yeah, sure. And but to, to be clear, if you said le here, it wouldn't be wrong. That would be okay. But... By when you're talking about a historical event, you frame the timing as 1914. Uh, then I would say that it's perfectly fine to leave out le in that context because it's very clear that you're talking. Like, why even bring up 1914 if you're not going to talk about something that changed in 1914? Like, there's sort of like an implied change about the whole thing. So I would say that's the reason you can leave le out. Chinese leaves things out when you can. It's one of the things about the language. So um, you'll get more and more used to it. Kolia on Zhongguren in context. He says, 不都是 sounds very strange to me. I don't think I've ever heard someone saying it. Is that a thing or grammatically correct but not very used? Uh, it's definitely a thing. You know, it 不, 不 and 都 and 都, you know, 不都 versus 都不 are, they actually function just like English. Um, they are not all, uh, Americans. 他们不都是美国人 versus 
they are all not Americans. Tamen right? So uh, that's uh, an example of how you would use them separately, and it's exactly the same way you would do it in English. You know, you're not going to have it changing the word order changes the meaning significantly, right? So uh, yeah, it's uh, if you if you couldn't change the word order of them, it would be quite difficult to make that subtle make that subtle distinction. So yeah, it's totally a thing and it's grammatically correct and used when it's needed. Mike Rochford on vocab unlocked from So let's translate this. Quarantine or uh, to be set aside and so like sort of supervised quarantine. Which is very formal. I like that, Mike. Good job. You could also say, right? That would be the same thing as. So, is what, but formal. So, has what, and then is um, a way. Like, I like this word meaning difference, because is a. Um, it essentially means like a. A district or border that's pretty clear. Like, so some kind of uh, border around an idea. And then bie means to differentiate. So what's the difference? Where do you draw the border between uh, between things? So chubie means a difference. So anyway, he's basically asking guli, which is a word that just generally means to put something aside and keep it isolated. And... Which is a little bit more specific as in quarantine, like quarantine as we think of it today in the world, uh, you know, especially quarantine where there's doctors present and like they're observing you. Right. Um, and the difference is, well, first of all, there might not be a difference. It's just an umbrella term. Like so guli is an umbrella term for anything that you sequester right, in some way, uh, but it might not be quarantine in the medical sense. Like, for example, uh, you might, uh, I brought a new cat into our house um, a year ago and had to because I have another cat in the house who was freaking out. So, like, I couldn't have them in the same room. And so, they, you know, that's an example of but it wouldn't be uh, so the difference is just that is more specific. That's uh, a medical quarantine. So uh, that's it. Next, we'll move on to the vocab living links section of the podcast. And this is where people come up with mnemonics to uh, remember Chinese words, compound words. And these, this is a little bit more eclectic than the Hanzi movie method, which is a bit more systemized. This is more like, hey, listen to the check out the word. What's it mean? What do the two characters mean? What's the sound in Chinese? What's the definition in English? Could we take one character's sound in Chinese and one character's definition in English and make a make a connection there? Uh, can we just look at the English definition and think of a thing that we really associate with that definition and then try to attach to the Chinese word? It's an eclectic way of trying to make links between what you already know about the world, movies you've seen, people you've known, emotions you've had, uh, and you know, sounds you're familiar with and combining it with the Chinese and seeing how you do. So let's see what we came up with this week. Annette Bicknell on Vocab Unlocked from Hui, Hui Lai, and Hui Chu. Sign of the times we're in, because when I search for an image with return to school cartoon, and I see cartoon images of kids in full PPE going to school. Yeah, absolutely. I guess that's the thing that the kids have to deal with more and more these days. Um, 
And so, uh, yeah, that's a good way to kind of make a connection because return to school and back to school, that's totally a good connection for Hui Lai, uh, but having, or Hui Chu, um, as it, as it were. And, uh, but yeah, adding that little extra layer of PPE makes it a little bit more timely. Annette Bicknell on Vocab Unlocked from In Imwe. George Mallory, because it's there, in answer to why to climb mountains, in this case, Mount Everest. So I hadn't heard about that before, but that's uh, <laughs> that's awesome. You know, George, why are why would you do this? Climb this mountain. Because it's there. That's a great little response. I love that. Kolia on vocab unlocked from Ju Zi Ju. Memory Palace. Well, yeah, of course. I love that. It's like it's a bit it's a bit meta, a bit self-referential, but on the other hand, you know, if you've made a Memory Palace um, specifically, or if you just have the uh, sort of movie studio Memory Palace that we do here at Mandarin Blueprint, then yeah, that'll help with Ji uh, Zhu. Ija on Vocab Unlocked from Gua. Cambridge Dictionaries, Word of the Year 2020. Gu <laughs> Yeah, Word of the Year. Yeah, exactly. Because Gu we talked about earlier in the podcast, sequester or quarantine. Uh, and so, yeah, 2020 was the year of quarantines. And it's still quite relevant, just by the by. I mean, like, I've, you know, just my um, fiance and I wanting to travel to see her family in Europe is just like, oh, but if we came back, we'd have to do a three week quarantine. It's like, ah. So, anyway, Tina Clark on vocab unlocked from May. May shama. May guanxi. Tonglai May. She says, for May shama. I'm going to go with the Black Knight from Monty Python. Tis but a scratch. <laughs> one of the funniest scenes in any movie. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's one of those, that's one of those movies that I can't wait to show future children. Like, I don't know, uh, you know, whether or not uh, my kids, my future kids will like it, but I, you know, when they're at the right age, I can't wait to see if they laugh at that scene. Cause I think that's one of those universally hilarious scenes. And that Bicknell on Vocab Unlocked from Jung Dian Jung, which means uh, a clock. A picture of clocks around the world showing different times for the different time zones of the cities. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely one of those things that um, uh, it's just a quick association. You see them, you go, yeah, there's different times all over the world. And it's like, what o'clock is it in, you know, uh, Beirut versus uh, Beijing and uh, all, uh, I don't know, Belarus. I'm going with the B. Uh, the B names. <laughs> All right. Finally, we're going to end with the same person we started with today, Lynn Ford on Vocab Unlocked from Wei. She says, I was looking at Wei Ren, and as always, I try to figure out what it means before I scroll down. And my first thought was miniature soft? What in the world could that mean? Oh, it's one of those that kind of don't go together until I scrolled down and saw the meaning is Microsoft Corporation. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder how I got this far on in life by myself, shaking my head, LOL. Yeah, I mean, like, I, it's one of those things. Yeah, sure. I mean, Weiren, if you look at it right off the bat, and, you know, if you actually said micro instead of mini, which is, you know, Wei just means like, for example, uh, Weibo Lu is a microwave oven. So in that case, it's micro, but sometimes it's mini, you know, like, um, so you thought of miniature first and then ran soft, you're like, what the heck? Um, and also ran jian, ran is, uh, ran jian is software, right? So Microsoft, they call it Microsoft because they make software, blah, blah. And so, um, yeah, that's why it is that way. But it is, uh, <laughs> I do get how like sometimes with a Chinese word, you're like, oh, 
that was so obvious. I missed how obvious it was. But that's a good thing about the language. That's what makes it uh, easy to learn, relatively speaking. So, all right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Mandarin Blueprint podcast. This was a great one. And uh, we uh, are so happy to have all of you on the course. Head over to mandarinblueprint.com to learn more if you haven't already signed up. Remember, the prices are going up soon. So get in while you can. And uh, we'll speak to you very soon.